In this subject, uh, I trust that God will speak to you further about what is an amazing aspect of the character of God. Um, so often when we come to serving, we think about, first of all, we think about ourselves. But actually, as you look at the Gospels and you look at the New Testament, it's that Christ has served us. It's that Christ came as a servant for us. So I trust that that's uh, the message that will come to your heart this morning. So, um, ooh, boomy. That's all right. We'll get the message in somehow. We'll bash it into you. Uh, so, um, yeah, I trust you're well. I trust you're enjoying life. Uh, I think this series has been really excellent uh, because... Is everything all right? Because what, you'd, what we're talking about with this Reflections of Splendor is that Christianity is really about God changing us. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about trying to become a better person in and of yourself. It is that God changes us. And it's as we understand who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ, it's that that changes us and it reflects in our lives. So you become a different reflection to what you were. Your life changes and uh, hopefully, God can, people, people can see God's work in you. I remember once I was a bit precocious boy, uh, because this, this... What do you mean, no? So, uh, I'm just warming up, really. Uh, so there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about, we'll be changed from one degree of glory to another. As we look at Jesus, we'll be changed from one degree... And I remember asking my dad... Is that, is that what it's like for you? <laughs> Are you being changed from one degree? Of, it's a little bit rude, really. <laughs> uh, because I was looking at the Bible and thinking, well, this is what the message is. You, we are supposed to get changed. We're not supposed to just stay the same through our whole lives. God's supposed to change us by his spirit. And uh, there's a lot of Christ-likeness in my dad, so I, if he ever listens to this, sorry, dad. Uh, but That's what I believe for. I believe that God wants to change us and change our hearts so that we're more like him and more like Christ. So, Reflections of Splendor. And I realized as soon as I got the title up, Serving, I thought, for some people, they're already like, serving. This this doesn't sound like my cup of tea. (laughs) I thought, you know, we, we could have put giving up. That might have, you know. I thought I might change it to the secret of a fulfilling life. Or how to make the most of your life, or something like that, because serving is not what you think of in a human way about being something that's going to be amazingly transformational. But actually, Jesus came, and you'll say that, you'll see it in a moment. He came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came as a servant. It's an amazing thing. So let's want to read together. If you've got a Bible, we're going to look at Philippians chapter two. And we're looking at this facet, if you like, of God's character, of him being a servant. So Philippians chapter 2, and we're just going to read what is one of the most amazing sort of overviews of who Jesus really was and how he can change our lives. So I'm going to start in verse 3, and so it should come up on the... There we go. So it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, 
who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or another version has something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then it goes on to talk about how it's God has therefore exalted him to the highest place and given him the name above every name. He is the lion and the lamb. This amazing contrast you get that he came as a suffering servant and yet he is a glorious, powerful king. It's a, it's a mind-blowing thing. I literally, I've been studying this in preparation, you'll be pleased to hear. And my, it's literally like my brain's gone, I, what? I just can't get it. It's amazing who God really is if you look at this stuff. So I hope to convey that with you. So I've got three points we're going to look at this morning. There we go. So... First of all, it is the, I want to look at the servant heart of God, and I want to talk about rethinking your reflection. I'll, make, I'll explain what I mean by that when we get there. And then thirdly, serving others for God. So really how this affects our lives and how we, how we should change. So the servant heart of God. So we look then, uh, I'm going to take my watch off so I can see the time. <laughs> the servant heart of God. Um, because I realize it's just such a, a massive ter- topic. I mean, you look at this topic of serving in the Bible, there's just so much of it. I mean, I could, I could do a whole series this morning. You're pretty excited about it. I can see your faces. You're, oh, please, Rob, please. No, no, I, 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 I won't do that. But there's, it's just so much to try and get your head around. But this verse here, the first, if we flip on, where it says, well, let me just read it again. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. And I I want you to try and get just this amazing, uh, this amazing factor that Jesus came as a servant. It's not that he became a servant, okay, but he reveals God, who God really is. That's the amazing thing of this. You know, it says that he was in nature God, and yet he didn't consider a quality of God something to be grasped and hold on to, but he came giving. He wasn't grasping, he came giving, and he came in the nature of a servant. So if we flip on to Matthew, so Jesus says, he says this, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So, the thing I want you to get, first of all, is the servanthood, or being a servant, is what Jesus has done for us. It's not that we have to be good servants, first and foremost. It's that he has served us in the gospel. He has done something for us. And what has he done? Well, it says here, he's given his life as a ransom for many. So, let me explain that to you. He, without Jesus we would be completely lost. We would have no hope. We have no way of getting back to God. We couldn't earn our way up. You talk about how do you get to um, please God. You can't do it in and of yourself. We needed a saviour. We needed someone to come in our place and be a ransom. The ransom just means he paid a price. 
He paid a price, which is why when he died on the cross, that was a serving act. He says that he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. That is the ultimate serving act. He emptied himself. He poured it out. He didn't hold back and say, okay, well, um, he wasn't thinking of himself. That's the point. Jesus wasn't thinking of himself when he came as a servant. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of you. And he said, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll be the servant. I'll, I'll come to earth as a babe. I'll live a life. And then I'll take on the cross. And I will suffer and die for many. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And if you try and get your head around that. See, it's not just that Jesus is the servant. God is a servant. In, in the whole trinity is a servant, okay? So you get phrases about these relationships and way that, the way God relates to one another. And it talks about the Father, you know, sends the Son. So that was a serving act to mankind. He sent his Son. The Father sent the Son. But it also said that Jesus obeyed the Father. He says he does what the Father was doing when Jonathan was talking the other week, really excellently on Jesus. You know, he did what the Father was doing. He wasn't... He was, there's, a, there's, a ser, there's a serving nature within God. I love the bit in John where it says, God is love. So you have to think about this. Well, what was going on before the creation of the world? Well, love was going on, because that's what God is like. The Father loved the Son. The Spirit loved the Father and the Son. There's this mutual service. When you get it, it's quite amazing, this interdependence. They're not, they're not vying for uh, equality. They are equal, equal persons. They're not saying, well, who's the greatest? What's quite interesting in a minute, when we get, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but disciples are so classically human because <laughs> they're like, well, who's the greatest? You know, who's, I mean, it comes up all the way through the Gospels. And suddenly it's like, well, who's the greatest, Jesus? You know, it's like, God is not like that. He's not. He's, it, Jesus knew he was God. He wasn't grasping onto equality as, oh, oh, I must be great. No, no. He made himself nothing. He took a low position. That's the point. And you'll see this within the Trinity that God is, um, there's a, a, an amazing mutual serving of one another. Does that make sense? Within the Godhead, there's this amazing mutual serving. It's not vying for position. It's just a love for one another and a serving. And Jesus is the ultimate servant in that he came to earth. He, made him, he took on the low position. Okay? I've got a couple of quotes that might be just useful to uh, go on to, which is about... Just go for the quote. Whatever comes up, let's have a look. The poor guy on the desk is like, where is he going next? Um... Well, let's, let's go on to the page 7, which says what Jesus... Yeah, there you go. So these three verses are, just remind us that when we see Jesus, we see God. Yeah? So anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. Colossians says, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews talks about his exact representation of his being. So when we see Jesus as a servant, we see God's heart. We see what God is like. 
He's the exact, he's not something different to God. Jesus is God. And when you see Jesus coming as a servant, you think, oh right, that's what God's like. God is a servant. And there's this interesting bit, which talks about in the return of Jesus. You say, well, you know, maybe Jesus just came as a servant, you know, you know, but it actually says when we meet him, he will serve us. He says, you'll recline at table and I will serve you. It's in the Gospels. Just get your head around that. Jesus in eternity will serve us. That's an amazing thing. I hope, you, I hope I'm conveying some of the just mind-blowing character of what Jesus is like. So if we flip on to slide eight, which is just a quote from Andrew Wilson in his book Incomparable. And he's talking about this, the interpersonal relationships of the Trinity. And it says it reveals a God who is sacrificial and submissive and self-giving in and of himself, not just because we exist. Do you get that? There's something in the character of God that is sacrificial, submissive and self-giving in and of himself. And then he goes on to say, you know, this, just because Christ had to come as a servant, it didn't change the nature of God. The fact that he had to come and suffer and die in our place for our sins to make a way back, for, back to God. It didn't, that was just showing what God was like. It gave him an opportunity, if you like, to reveal his true character. That within God, there is an amazing love for one another. So this statement, God is love, I love it. God is love. And John, who said that, who wrote that bit in 1 John, that God is love, he'd been with Jesus. You have to remember that. He'd been one of Jesus' close friends. In fact, he was one of the guys who at one point was saying, Jesus, who's the greatest? Is it me? Now, he, he, when he, after the cross, John is a very changed person. They're all very changed people after the cross. All the disciples, none of them are like, who's the greatest now? It's, they suddenly get what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But John, when he says God is love, you've got to remember, he saw Jesus. And he, I, I'm just imagining this. He, he looked into the eyes of Jesus through entire, his entire ministry. He saw how Jesus looked at the crowd when he talked and how when he healed the sick. He saw the eyes of Jesus when he, when he was healing the sick and when he was... Uh, talking to his disciples and training them and trying to help them understand. He saw Jesus' eyes. And then you get this bit in Revelation where John sees the risen Jesus and it talks about his eyes are like burning fire. Do you remember that bit? That he sees this vision of Jesus, he says, and it's the same eyes. It's the same eyes that he had. Jesus' eyes had this love for people. You can't... you can't explain it properly. It's so amazing, the love that God has for us. And you need to understand that. If you're not a believer here today, God loves you. Jesus loves you. He came for you. He came to make a way that you could know God. So don't think Christianity is something, first and foremost, that you have to do. You have to receive it. You receive the gift of God. You say, Jesus, you love me. I want to follow you. It's, this is with a whole subject of serving. I want us to get this first point right. It's not that we first serve, but He first served us, as it says in, God, in the John. We love because He first loved us. So we only serve 
out of a response of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Do you get that? Okay. So that's the first thing, the servant heart of God. And the second thing I want to come on to is this rethinking your reflection. And uh, I mean, I love the disciples because they remind me of people I meet (laughs) all the time. Uh, I work in corporate finance and, uh, you know, everybody wants to be great in uh, my company and be the most important and I don't think the disciples are any different. I think people are just like that. Everywhere you go, who's the greatest? So rethinking your reflection. Um, but I want you to... What I'm trying to get at this, on this point is, you know, when you look in the mirror and you look at yourself, do you remember that bit in Alan Partridge where he, uh, he talks to himself in the mirror? Do you do that? It's not a good, it's not a good thing to do, but I'm just... I'm trying to get. I'm about your reflection, your character. What are you like? What do you show to other people when they look at your life? What do they see? Because the Christian is called to be Christ-like. You're supposed to reflect what Jesus was like, and this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples to be like him. But he had a bit of a job, particularly on this subject of serving, and I just want to demonstrate that. I was going to look through the Gospels a little bit. But effectively, what, what Jesus was saying was, we're not just supposed to... Because f- so often in this world, we think we're focused on things about status or importance or, you know... I don't know. Anybody do LinkedIn? Anybody do LinkedIn? I'm not looking for subscribers. I'm just, you know, <laughs> curious. But on LinkedIn, okay, they've got this thing where it's like, you, how do you rank compared to your connections or the people in your company? Is it just me? I, I wonder how I rank. And I'm always like middle, mid-table. It's always very disappointing. But what is that in the human psyche that sort of, oh, who's the greatest? You know, it's trying to tap into this thing about being popular, about, you know, the whole thing of social media is feeding that, uh, desiring us to be great and for people to see us and for us to be recognized. Is it not? Something about the human condition, about wanting to be great. Well, Jesus flips it completely on its head and says, true greatness is completely opposite to what you think it is. And he says it, he says it again and again and again. It's like the disciples just, the computer says no, they don't get it. You know, he keeps trying. So let's just give you some examples of that. So Matthew 18. So this is Jesus... Okay, so you see it there. The disciples go, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, and this question doesn't just come up once in the Gospels. <laughs> it's quite a regular theme. So who's the greatest? And Jesus goes, well, let's look at a child. And I get, place that in front of you. Okay, child. And if you want to be, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never Enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, got that lesson, Jesus? Thanks very much. Take the low position. They've got it. Oh, no, they haven't. This is just in one gospel. Matthew, if we click on to the next slide. Matthew 20, right? Jesus, one of the Zebedee's sons, the mother. Okay, this is so funny. If, if you, just on a human level. Okay, these guys... James and John, 
get their mother, think about it, they get their mother to ask, who's the greatest? <laughs> so it's like, you know, just think that's not very great, is it? I'm going to get my mum to ask, Jesus, can you, uh, mum, can you just ask Jesus, you know, if one of us can, and so she comes up, you know, you know what mothers are like, you know. So she comes up to Jesus and says, okay, grant that my two sons, one can sit on your right and one can sit on your left when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus is like, you don't, you don't really know what you're asking there. And if we go on to the next slide, and then he does this. Uh, now, when the ten hear about this, that's the other tw- ten, they were indignant. Oh, were they? <laughs> yes, they were. And why were they indignant? Because the same pride and status was in them as well. They wanted to be the greatest. It wasn't they were, you know, James and John were the baddies. No, no. There was that human pride and status thing going on in their hearts. And uh, Jesus takes another opportunity to explain. So he says, you know, you know what the rulers are in the world are like? That they lord it over. They exercise authority over them. Not so with you. I want you to hear that today. If you're a believer, not so with you. If you're in a position of authority, Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over, not so with you. What does that mean? I think it means listening to people, listening to people underneath you. So many people, and actually I think it's the best way. Servant leadership is the most effective way of leading This is not a talk on leadership, although in some ways it is, because to be a a true leader for God means to be a true servant. That's all Jesus says. Serving is what matters. But I think true, true serving of people affects their lives. Why was Jesus so popular? Why was Jesus so popular? Because he came as a servant. He didn't come across as an egomaniac building an empire. He came across as someone who was serving. And I think servant leaders, it's just, a, it's just an extra little snippy bit that I hadn't written down in my notes, but it just seems like a good thing to say. Not so with you. Don't be like that. But anyway, we're getting back to the point. Jesus goes, instead, whoever wants, you to become, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, they must have got it by now. They must have got it. Surely, he's done it twice now. He's taken the little child. He said, look at the child. And then he's gone, you know, James and John, no, they're wrong. You know, be a servant. Be a servant. But sadly, no. Let's skip, skip on to Matthew 23. Jesus then talks about the religious leaders of his day and how they like to be the big cheeses and have people look at them and take the most important seats in the synagogue. And he's saying, don't be like that. Not so with you. The greatest among you will be a servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. In my mind, I think it's a little bit like uh, Jesus came across his disciples and he realized there was something faulty with them. You ever got, had a phone go wrong, like a, a mobile phone? I can see some of you are having trouble even now. <laughs> and 
you know, mobile phones, you think, uh, it's just not working. And you know the best thing to do is a factory reset, isn't it? Let's just go back to what was originally, and then hopefully it will stop messing around. And I feel like Jesus, like every time he's going, I need to do a factory reset on these guys. Because they're just, they're just all over the place here. Their minds are, they're thinking of themselves as far too, you know, like it says in the um, Philippians, do not think of yourself more highly than you should. Disciples are all like that. We often are naturally like that. And it's like, God, Jesus came in and was like, factory reset, factory reset. And he was just like, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get this right. And then uh, you see it, this amazing thing is that they were even doing this when Jesus was going to Calvary, on the way to Calvary. Yeah? So what's Jesus doing? He's dying for us in our place. And it says, a dispute came up amongst them about who was the greatest. Okay? How inappropriate is that? Jesus is on his way to Calvary, and suddenly they're going, well, who's the greatest? So if you look at the Luke passage... Luke, that's slide 15. A dispute. Slide 15. There we go. A dispute. See, I knew this would work. A dispute arose among them. As to, this is, again, this is, this is the upper room scenario. Upper room, Jesus going to the cross. What are the disciples doing? Who's the greatest? I think it was sparked a little bit by Judas. And then it's like, well, and who's going to betray him? And that kind of thing. Anyway, so Jesus said to them, the, a dispute arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Next slide. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For whoever... Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus hits it again on the head. He's saying there are people in the world who like titles. They like to talk about executive this and important person that. They look at the labels. They call themselves benefactors. And they like to talk about the fact that I'm a what's it. And it can happen in the church as well. And it's, you know, the word ministry, for example. Have you ever talked, oh, what's your ministry? You know, the word ministry just means serving. It is not a label or a status symbol. It just means serving. So we should call ourselves servers, mostly. In, even if your role is not called that. In your head, think server. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, don't think these people who give themselves great titles. And he says, and also he hits it on the head here in quite an amazing way. He says, who is the greater? The one who's at the table being served or the one who's doing the serving? And in our natural selves, we all think, yes, the greater one is the one being served. And Jesus says, ah, but I'm among you as one who serves. Who's greater? That's, ah, the server is the greater one. Do you get it? 
And I'm just going to, a little demonstration. I'm not really going to do this. Um, because also at the upper room, Jesus got out some water, put it in a bowl, because they still hadn't got it. And uh, he decided to wash their feet. Jesus, the Son of God, got down on his knees and washed their feet. Any volunteers? No, I'm joking. You, this bowl is not... Uh, I think I did the cleaning, so it's not the cleanest. But you, I could just... I thought as a response this morning, we could come forward one after another, and I could, I could do the business, yeah? With that? But Jesus had to do a practical... Do you get the point? The point is not that we need another, like we have communion, then we do foot washing at the end. Because Jesus says, go and do likewise. He does actually say, he, he just, but he does a practical demonstration. Trying, I'm trying to get the point across how slow the disciples were to get it and how great lengths Jesus went to try and emphasize that a Christian is not called to be a, a, someone who lords it over others, but one who comes to serve. So he even does a practical demo. There's, there's nothing else he does as a practical demo, really. This is the number one thing that Jesus... And it's stuck with the disciples, you imagine. Because Peter goes, you know, doesn't compute. You can't wash my feet. You're important. You're great. And Jesus goes, that's the point. The point is, in the kingdom of God, greatness is serving. I, I, I trust I'm making the... The point's coming home. So if you want to flick on to uh, slide 19, it's a little quiz for you, just for the people on their phones who can't pay attention. Ah, right. So greatness, one's wrong and one's right. Can you fill in the blanks? It's not difficult. It's like one of those phone-in shows where they give you the name of three really obvious answers and it's like anybody can do this so I'm, I'm sadly there's a lot of confused faces uh, so greatness equals S blank 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 well, perhaps it's not as easy as I thought it was what status boom well done Alan Alan's in there so the wrong greatness equals status is wrong Greatness equals serving is right. If you, there you go. So, I mean, that took a lot of time as well. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, so Jesus really, I think, really got it and really wanted the disciples to get it. And I trust today that God's speaking to you this morning. What about you? Have you got a servant heart? Do when people look at you, they think that the reflection that you give is someone who serves, or are you someone who wants to be served? Someone who wants attention, wants to be in the primary place? Well, Jesus encourages us, no, take the lowest place. Be willing to serve and do the lowest thing, because that's what he did. I actually came across this quote by the Queen, uh, which I don't know if it's on the slides, but no, I don't think it is. No. But this is, this, I'll come on to that in a minute. The Queen said this God 
sent his only son to serve, not to be served. He restored love and service to the centre of our lives in the person of Christ. And when I looked at her, I thought, you know, I think she's got it. I think the Queen has got it. Now, you may think that's a bit strange because in terms of status, she's right up there. But status is irrelevant. Position is irrelevant to greatness. And I think when she serves, and the way she has for all those years, I think there's something of Christ, nobility. There's a nobility in her servanthood. And you can do that. Whatever status you have in life, you can be like Christ as a servant. And I think there's something, something I wanted to just flag up. I think it's quite interesting. But the quote that you went on to that you can go back to is, I think captures it really well by William Hendrickson in his commentary on Matthew. It says this, Greatness consists in self-giving, in the outpouring of self into the service of others for the glory of God. To be great means to love. I just thought, I really like that. To be great means to love. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? We love because he first loved us. And when we, are, when we serve others like that, in that pouring out way, we're being like Jesus. So Jesus says, your attitude, Paul says about Jesus, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That passage we looked at at the start, we should think like Jesus thinks. So how does Jesus think? He didn't think about himself. So often we're preoccupied with ourselves and our importance, but there's a real liberty, like Viv was saying in her contribution earlier, there's a real liberty in finding Christ as Lord and Saviour and becoming like him because it frees you up. You know, I'm, I don't care what people think about me. I only care what Jesus thinks. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's quite a liberating thing. And then, well, I, I'll do the, I don't mind what I do. I don't mind what status or role I have. I just want to serve God. I want to be like Jesus. And we can think like Jesus. So what did Jesus think like? The point is this, he didn't think about himself, he thought about others. And you can have that from God, a, a, a way of thinking. It's not thinking about yourself, it's thinking about others. Okay, so that is the factory reset that God wants to do in us. C.J. Mahaney says this, a true biblical definition of greatness is serving others for the glory of God. And it's precisely the opposite of selfish ambition. So it's the exact opposite of the world. And that's why I think it's a bit of a factory reset moment. Finally, I just want to look at serving others. And serving others for God. Because that is what the believer does. It's not just that you're serving others, but you're serving others for God. Does that make sense? You are thinking about pleasing God as you look to serve others. So I've got just a simple thing. I, I want to think about it in terms of our head, heart, and hands. In terms of our head, it's a decision you make. You, you choose to do it. You think like Jesus thinks. In, in the Old Testament, because everybody's a servant. I don't know if you know that. Everybody's a serving something. You're either serving the world, serving yourself, 
We're serving God. There's a, so in the Old Testament, Joshua, he finds the people and he says, you've got to decide who you're going to serve. Because you will be serving somebody. You'll be, Jesus talked about you can't serve God and money. There will be things in this world that want to control and order your life. It might be yourself, your own agenda. But Jesus says, no, no. You'll actually be like Christ Jesus. I want to please God. I don't want to please just myself. I want to look to God. And so you have to decide. It's a head thing first. Does that make sense? In your head, I'm going to choose to follow God and I'm going to choose to live a life of service to others. So that's the first thing. The second thing, heart. I think you've got to guard your heart because serving, nobody, I don't think, there may be a few people in this room, a very small number, who just, I love serving. Well, I think there's something in all of us that you have to battle through on. And sometimes it can come from a pure motive, but sometimes our serving in the church and in the world can become selfish ambition or self-serving. Does that make sense? It can, you can change your heart. And actually, um, I think this happened to me in part at one point in my life, that I, what started as just wanting to please God became about me and my, how people were thinking about me. And I got kind of snarled up in it, I think. And uh, I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me either, again. You've got to, you know what, I'm just saying, guard your heart. Make sure you are yourself receiving from God, that it's grace that's motivating you to, in your service. I think that's what I mean by heart serving. There's a really good bit, and I do actually have it on the notes, on slide 25. Thank you, John. Uh, and this says, above, each other, above all, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. And it's interesting he says that because you, you know if your heart's going wrong, if you're serving and grumbling. If you're serving and grumbling, that's when you think, I, I think something's wrong because I may be doing it and everybody else thinks, oh, he's serving really well, but actually there's something in your heart that's wrong. And he goes on to say this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So there are so many ways we can serve others. There's no barrier to service. Everybody can do something for others. But if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised or glorified. So there is something that glorifies God, not just in the act of serving, but in the attitude of serving. Does that make sense? In your heart, an attitude of serving. So again, we come back to that Philippians thing. You know, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So it's not just your actions, it's your heart attitude to it. Am I doing this as a gift to others, or am I starting to think about it in terms of myself? So guard your heart. Is that all right? And then in terms of hands, you've got to get your hands dirty. I mean, when Jesus... You know, you could theorize about it and talk about it and, and say, well, I really agree with Jesus, uh, you know, the way he washed the feet. Very, very good, oh yeah. So I could, you know, you could talk like that, can you? So for example, I could say, have you been blessed this morning? And it hands up, come on, encourage me. Have you been blessed this morning? Well, the Bible says you, 
you haven't been blessed yet. Did you know that? Jesus said, no, you've not been blessed at all. You may have heard some good stuff. You've got the potential of being blessed. I've caught you now. But he says, Jesus says, you'll be blessed if you do. Follow my example. You'll be blessed if you do it. So nobody's been blessed yet until you start serving someone else. Yeah? That's what Jesus said. You've, not been, you've got the potential to be blessed. But real blessing comes as you serve others. And there's an amazing verse in Acts 20, and I've got no idea if it's, it is on the slide, 27. Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's a little thing that missed out the Gospels and just slips into Acts. But it's powerful. Because actually, and I've found this, sometimes you, you, God gives you an opportunity to serve, and you know, I don't really want to do that. It... it uh, I, I don't want to go, I'm not going to beat myself up in front of everybody. There's not time. But you know what I mean? You, there's, a, there's a natural uh, disinclination to service. But as you do it, as you choose to do it, I remember doing this. I remember cleaning some floors once on a Christian camp. And I remember just experiencing the presence of God. And I'm cleaning floors. I'm thinking, this is weird. Because I wasn't really up for cleaning floors. I wasn't, you know... Can I clean the floors? You know, I didn't do it in that kind of willing, wholehearted manner. But I just, you know, and I just remember thinking, I'm doing this for God. And there was something about the pleasure of God in doing that. Nell's thinking, I wish he'd do it a bit more at home. (laughs) That is true. There's still work to be done at home. But, um, but yeah, I just uh, just want to encourage you that it's actually ultimately doing something for someone else. And there's all kinds of ways we can do it. I remember, um, just in closing, I remember Richard Hunt. Um, I don't know, some of you, a lot, I guess quite a few of you won't know Richard because he's been gone for a few years now, uh, married to Mary. But Richard came, when he came to the church, now Richard had run his own business. He was quite a successful man of the world. But he came, and I remember he came and he, he mowed lawns. He ended up being an elder, one of the elders of the church here. But he came as someone who mowed lawns. <laughs> and there are so many good people in this church. There's so many great servants. I, there's so many other people who should be doing this talk that are actually probably even serving now in the kids' work or the youth work. But I remember thinking, there's, Richard had something there. He didn't come with his own agenda. He didn't come looking to become the big man. He just came and he mowed lawns. There was something of Jesus in that. And I could, I could give so many examples of so many different people in this church who show Christ. That's what you reflect. You reflect Christ. It's one of the most amazing reflections when you see somebody doing something who've lowered themselves, taken on the nature of servant, and serving with a whole heart. And I'm sure all of us have the potential to do it. And my encouragement and prayer is that you will be blessed because you've gone out and done something to the glory of God. I think I'm done. Okay, so I just pray. And perhaps the band want to shuffle up behind me uh, quietly. That'd be good. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you served us in the cross. We thank you that you made a way for us as individuals, Lord, that we have no hope without you. We're so dependent on you and your service of us. And thank you, you serve us uh, with your love. Lord, you pour out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, you keep us from messing up and you can help us in life. And I pray, Lord, that uh, each one here, I pray that whatever's resonated, I pray, Lord, you would imprint, as you did on the disciples, what it means to be truly great. I pray that you would, there'll be all acts, acts of love, many acts of love this week that come from humility and looking to serve others. And I pray you would be glorified in that. I pray, Jesus, that people would see how amazing you are through us. Amen.